Hi, this is Pete Link, and we're back at the uh, churchandgospel.com podcast here at Charleston Southern University. And we have just finished one of the most exciting events we've ever had in the School of Christian Studies here at Charleston Southern. It's a brand new event, the first time we've ever done it. We took a leap of faith, and we asked our dean, Ross Parker, and our New Testament uh, specialist, Ed Grave, Dr. Ed Gravely, who's here with me today. Hi, Ed. Hello. <laughs> to talk to high schoolers. Um, about apologetic questions and issues. So we want to take just a short time today to kind of talk about what we talked about this weekend because we believe one of the things that is very important is that a vibrant church here in South Carolina depends upon a church that's bringing the reality of the gospel to bear in life's most difficult situations, but it's not only for everyone in the church, but especially for these teenagers. So, uh, Dr. Gravely, Ed, how was the weekend? Did you have a good time teaching? I did. We had a great time. We had uh, set out 70 seats, had sort of 70 slots, just about filled all of those. Um, so we had a great group. Uh, it was small enough to where we could really do a lot of interaction. They got to submit a lot of questions. As you know, your phone was ringing off the hook with the questions. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. It was a, it was a blast. So how did we design the conversation? Guide everybody through the three questions that we tried to tackle. Right. So it, it looks like uh, going forward, Endure is going to have four sections. And it'll be three sections of teaching, two before lunch and then two after lunch. Um, and then that fourth section is Q&A. And so we have an opportunity for them to submit questions all throughout the day. Uh, and then uh, we have an opportunity for them to, uh, on the fly, text questions during the Q&A. <laughs> Um, and that actually turned out to really be a very great choice for us because as we were dealing with the handful of questions we got started with, the questions started pouring in because as we would answer a question, they'd have more questions and we right. had to follow up. So what we tried to do with the, it will probably be uh, different topics and themes every year. This year, we sort of tried to work from, we began with the first section was, uh, what case can you make? That, uh, that God exists. Is mm -hmm. that a thing? That, is that in the realm of knowledge? Um, and if so, how would you go about making a case? And then uh, what Dr. Parker did um, into the second section was actually deal with the moral argument for God's existence, mm -hmm. uh, because we were transitioning to uh, moral apologetic issues. Right, um, and, right. so there, and so uh, can there a case be made uh, for God's existence? And of course, Dr. Parker and I would say, Yes, yes, there can. Yes, uh, loud yes, right? And then one of the best cases, uh, and I thought Dr. Parker did an excellent job, was the moral argument for God's existence, which is mm. um, if there was no God, then there would be no moral, truly morally good things, and yet there are objective moral values, uh, therefore God must exist. And right. of course, C.S. Lewis, most famous sort of um, proponent of that in mere Christianity. Um, and then we moved from that into a more, it's still apologetic, but it was more theological in nature. And that is the question of, so then why, if there is a moral God and there are moral absolutes, uh, why does God care about sex? There are lots of things in this world for which God did not give any moral absolutes. He didn't give any moral absolutes about light bulbs or about shoes, or, um, but he did give moral absolutes about sex. And so why is that? Why does God mm. care about sex? Um, and then, of course, that raises, a as a Christian, when you begin to, in our culture, de make declarations about God's objective truths about sex, you run into a number of issues. And we answered a bunch of questions related to those issues, but the one we dealt with in the third um, section was a, a, how do we consistently and intelligently read the law codes in the Old Testament um, right. in a way um, that is... Uh, that, that is 
But we want to read the, in short, we want to read the Old Testament in the way that the Bible instructs us to read it. Mm. And so we gave it the provocative title of, uh, you know, why do, why do Christians condemn adultery but eat bacon? Yes, which is an eternal question, I believe. Um, this is, this is a, a great weekend because, remember, these are high schoolers That's right. who are processing these questions. And a lot of times uh, there's an older model of ministry that would view high school ministry as a starting point, a week. We've never taken that view here at Charleston Southern. We actually believe that this is a genuine front line of the of where. Uh the church interacts with culture. And if you'll notice with young people, they are shaped by many things, obviously. Young people in the church, young people without the church, they have all these different influences. And so what was helpful about Endure is these questions. How do you know there's a God? And, uh, uh, you know, why do you um, uh, read the law codes the way you do? These kind of questions that we ask. These are questions that they're directly being faced with when they deal with unbelievers. In other words, That's right. when you ask these questions, you're teaching them how to live the gospel intelligently, patiently, kindly, faithfully in a world that uh, is opposed to the gospel. And by the way, the world has always been opposed to the gospel. We're tempted to read that today's culture is the first time this has ever happened. Um, obviously, uh, we read the scriptures from Genesis 3 to the end that it is a common theme that humanity doesn't like being told that God's right and we're wrong. Yeah, and in fact, it, it's interesting you say that because as we moved through the section and we got to eat lunch with the students and we got to interact with them, it became clear that there were... So with the first session, you know, everybody in the room, as far as I could tell, was already convinced that God exists. <laughs> right. And was, so the apologetic, you know, they're high school just, students. Just put the context. They're high school students who spent an entire week sitting in class all day, and, and they, they took came their to us Saturday. On a Saturday. That's right. So yeah. they're pretty committed, they, right? They are. And so, um, and so as we, but we helped them think through. Um, okay, so here's this thing that my mother taught me. Here's this thing that my father taught me. Here's this thing that my pastor taught me. How can I think through that on my own? Right. And then also expand that to, what do I say when people ask me questions? Why do you believe in God? How do you know God exists? Right. We help walk them through how to engage with their culture. But as we moved into the sexual issues, um, it, what became clear is, is that there were a number of them where they know what the scripture, they know generally what the scripture says about sex uh, and, and, and modern contemporary issues. But it was clear to me that they were struggling with whether or not that's true. Right. Or they're struggling with... Whether or, you know how, because you know they are being programmed by culture to deny some of the essential teachings about sex and gender in the scripture, and I think it would probably be fair to say that some of the things we said, um, you know, we got looks of, I'm not sure I believe that. Right, and and this is this is what's great about it is we were uh, able to by the way the the questions were designed the questions they asked us and also the questions we were trying to answer um, where they had the freedom to to push back and say yeah, absolutely well why is this because here's the problem if the only reason your your child believes that uh, marriage is between a man and woman is because you told them so that probably will not allow them to endure in the faith in and of itself that's right you. Have have to have a biblical, theological, intellectual way to begin to uh, um, to answer these questions. You, we want to equip them with that, so that when the world comes to them with all these things that are wrong about Christianity, we can do a couple things. Number one, where Christians have failed to live up to the gospel in these areas, we can admit it. And this was one of your main points. Exactly. Yeah. And the uh, when we talked about um, this question of why do Christians condemn adultery and eat bacon. Um, 
there's really two issues there. One of them is, um, as you say, just simple Christian hypocrisy. There are plenty of moral teachings in the Scripture, and this is this is aside from the question of what is the relationship of the law codes to the church. Right. There are just plenty of uh, Christian teaching about sex and gender that the church has just largely been ignoring right. um, in favor of making huge cultural waves about other issues. And that's not to say we shouldn't, uh, that, that's not a statement about how we should be engaged in culture or what we should think about modern issues. It's just a statement of, um, we have not always been consistent, even our own practice, and that's that's. I think it's perfectly acceptable for us to own up to that. Yeah. So and so the the biblical uh, paradigm is we are trying to remove the plank from our eyes so we can more easily help our brother or even the lost world remove the speck or even its own plank from their own eyes. And and so part of part of what Dr. Gravely did such a great great job on was helping us to recognize when we see Christians being hypocrites, not the scripture being hypocritical, but when we see Christians who have been hypocritical on some of these issues, uh, own up to that and uh, don't excuse it, don't apologize it, but move on to what is truth. So this was the second thing. Right. What actually does the scripture claim on this issue of sex and marriage and so forth? Because clearly this this was a tough topic for these teenagers. It was, and as we as we moved through, and I think we saw this most clearly during the Q and A. So right. you know, we get a question and we begin to answer it, and I, I say some things in my answer that the students clearly reacted strongly to because then the question started pouring in again. Follow up questions, not I mean they, they weren't being aggressive and they weren't being you know. Um, mean-spirited or anything, but they really were like, okay, you said that. Well, what does that mean here? Right. They were thinking, this is good. Perfect. And the two... So the two cultural issues that I think we saw most clearly at play that our students are really struggling with is, number one, this idea that... um, that your that that uh, your sexual identity, mm-hmm. um, your sexual identification, uh, the sexual parts of you that, that those are the most culture is is trying its best to program them to believe that those are the only things about them that really matter. Right. And so when I mean I just mentioned the word uh, as we were talking about um, I don't even remember what the question was, but I mentioned the word celibate. That you know, this is an option. You know, for a Christian who is struggling in a particular area, you know, you can you can remain. You know, Christ is sufficient, um, and that there is a gift of celibacy in the church that serves as a testimony to the sufficiency of Christ in all things. Um, and that sparked a very interesting reaction because culture has programmed them that if I am not allowed to fulfill myself sexually in all of the ways that I want to, then there's just something desperately wrong with that world or that teaching. It's just almost inhuman, if you will. Right. And so this this is how my it's and it's hard hard for those of us who are older. I'm 49. I grew up in a very different world than these teenagers are in. There were um, standards of behavior that were reasonably common across the culture. Right. Those barriers are gone. And instead, what we're discovering is a generation that's allowed to, whatever is in their heart in this area of sex, they're being told, chase it chase it. Now, I think the society still has a couple boundaries left. Oh, sure. But uh, And I don't know what the society will do 10 years from now. I don't think that we have really settled <laughs> where yeah. all this will end. But but what's happening now is, is, is you're right. These uh, young people have been told by culture that you are defined by your sexual attraction and by your sexual actions. And this is death because this is idolatry. It is. It's a, it definitely is an idolatry of sex. And what it's done, the most damaging part of that 
that is not the cultural changes we're experiencing. That's the most right. damaging part of that is that it has convinced particularly young ladies um, that the sexual parts of them are the only parts of them that matter. Right, and this this is where the gospel can come alongside men and women, young and old, from all different backgrounds and say, listen, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Both men and women are equally valuable. And there is far more to your life than just having sex. Yeah, and in fact, when I, when I said uh, you know, to you, I could see the looks on their faces <laughs> as it was sinking in when I said to the crowd, um, you know, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was a human being. In fact, as C.S. Lewis says, he was probably more of a human being even than you are. Mm, and yet he never had sex. Yeah, and he never had sex. And he so, was a fully realized, fully complete human being. So you can think of the, you know, the the mockingness, for example, of virginity that has been happening for at least the last 40 years in sure. American culture that's intensified now. It's not even category possible that you could do that. If you're you're missing out on a part of life if you don't do these things. The gospel says the most important part of life. Yeah, that's what that's what the side would say, but the gospel says no, the most important part of life is bound up in the person and work of Christ. Right. And if yes. you're described by that, identify with that. If you identify with him, who he is and what he did, it will change who you are and what you do. This is the push that we tried to help, and Dr. Graves and Dr. Parker did an amazing job, helping these young people begin to, to think through the implications of identity in Jesus versus identity in idolatry. Yeah, just the, the, the notion that a hundred years ago, if you ask a person, who are you? <laughs> the right. first thing that would come to their mind is a term to describe their sexual attraction, their sexual behavior. <laughs> yes, right. It's a, it's a, and and I understand there's issues of justice and equality that complicate. I, I really, I'm not. That's not what I'm getting into. My point is, is that this is a new way for human beings to think, um, and it is a way that I think is destructive and contrary to the gospel, regardless of the actual conclusions you reach on it. Right. Um, of course, I think the scripture programs us to think a certain way. Um, what you said was really important too, though, because the second really sort of cultural idol that I think we saw at play there, um, and we got tons of questions, and they were all related to, what am I? What do I do about this? Because this is a part of me that can't change. Right, and yet the that's entirely and that's entirely contrary to the gospel. That we have we have two, actually in the gospel we have two great hopes um, in this on this issue. One great hope is is the power of the gospel to change everything about us. Mm. Uh, our our birth is not our immediate concern. The new birth is our. There's a reason why that's that that's the the central motif in John's gospel is this the idea of a new birth. Right, a change. You know, Paul talks about you know being made a new creation, and I just don't. I think that was a room full of kids who had very little hope in the power of the gospel to actually change them. Yeah, and that's that's important because what that reveals is an inadequate understanding of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Right, uh, which is and, that second hope. We'll get to right. That's right. Yep. And so then, so what? Why do they have that? Because they have an insufficient understanding of who they are and who God is, and what the cross. Actually, has done and is doing. Yeah, and the 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 power, the the uh, the dynamite, if you will, at the very core of that is glorification. To mm. to constantly understand and have said to you and preach to yourself this notion that whatever it is that you're struggling with, no matter how many times you have failed, you are going to be free from that if you are in Christ. One day, you will stand in the presence of God without fear, apart from sin, because of the work of Christ, and that actually gives you great power to to let the gospel change you in this life. But it's a great hope that, you know, our, 
um, our salvation is not dependent on how much we let God change us. Um, <laughs> it is uh, dependent upon the uh, fully complete uh, work of Christ. Yeah. Grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone according to the scriptures alone. These Reformation principles that have been rebounding, uh, I would say, since the early church that get amplified, obviously, in the Reformation. This is uh, essential for us to understand uh, that our young people are, are, are really struggling with whether or not the gospel can address this area of life. Right. Yeah. Um, what they want to do is, is, in essence, kind of what a prior generation did with the issue of racism. And this is important to me because we can look back at the 19th century and the 18th century and the 17th century, and we can see people who would define as faithful Christians, and yet they were slave owners, they were writing about these, and, yeah, we, and for we, sure. we just categorically, black, white, brown, and yellow, we look at this now we say how could they say that this is the fear that there is a part of the creation a part of us that we are tr that this generation is trying to cut off from the gospel so we want the gospel to invade everything especially those other people down the street but this part of me cannot be touched so in other words the way that those generations struggled with racism and segregation and all this now we have a generation trying to disconnect sex from the gospel, and I believe in the end that that's obviously not going to produce real life and real fruit. Right, and that, that's that's always been the world's answer to the gospel, which is I want there to be a God who will fix the world, but I also want there to be a God who will leave me entirely alone. <laughs> yes. That was one of your best lines, and I think yeah. that's exactly right because. But we're what's wrong with the world? Yes, and this is where one of the things when, when helping young people to realize, especially because they're concerned about the older generation's political interaction. I mean, this is a, a common thing that younger Christians. Christians are saying, and they're not Definitely. totally wrong. And indeed, my generation, we did get a lot of political interaction, right? Especially among white evangelicals, we did. However, here's the thing. And the answer is not to have less gospel in our politics, but to have more gospel. Right. So the answer to this generation wanting to to uh, to redesign this part of, of, of life, uh, no, 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 you need more gospel there, not less gospel. And I think that's going to be always, as you said, it's always a challenge. Uh, it will be a challenge for uh, the next generation. I want to transition a bit as we get ready uh, to, to consider the implications of this, of this uh, uh, conference and let you know that we plan to do this every year. But the topic next year is going to be totally different. We've, right. we've designed, in essence, a three-year cycle. And I will tell you, next spring, uh, Lord willing, uh, next spring, you should never say anything except Lord willing, right? Uh, we will host the next Endure, Endure 18. And one of the core questions we're going to deal with is the issue of racial reconciliation. And this is a hot-button topic today, but it has really in one way or another, manifest itself in every generation of humanity. Uh, from Cain and Abel on down, I would say that there has been this struggle for reconciling humanity to itself. Are we going to be able, in that conference next year, to give a gospel perspective on racial reconciliation? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's uh, in many ways, if you look carefully at the st as the story of the New Testament unfolds, mm. uh, from Jesus through the book of Acts, into the Pauline letters, into the general letters, as you look at how that story unfolds, um, um, racial identity, racial strife, and a, a, sa uh, 
uh, sacrificing, that's a strong word, a <laughs> sacrificing of the gospel on the altar of race and culture is a core problem for the early church. There's a reason why Jesus told his church to go into all the nations, and by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, they have gone exactly nowhere. <laughs> right. So this is, this is why I'm excited about next year. We believe that one of the ways that we can equip this next generation to reach the nations is by helping them think clearly about what God thinks about race and specifically racial reconciliation. How is the church to be different from the world? And then how does that happen? Because we don't see a lot of examples of it happening in a very positive way. Is that just something that's not going to happen in this life? Do we just simply have to wait for heaven? Or is there indeed a way for the glorified church to, uh, to um, that it's coming in the end for us to, to have some of that racial reconciliation? Now, I think it's a good question. Um, and we're going to... Um, dovetail with some things that will be happening next year with another conference that we'll be hosting. That's right, yeah. Um, so this is going to be the heartbeat of how we want to equip South Carolina's teenagers. So listen, if you're listening to this, you're a youth pastor, you're a parent, or you're a teenager, or you know somebody who's a teenager. Right, and Christian you say, school teacher. Christian school teacher, exactly. Hey, listen, uh, Endure 18 is coming, and we're going to uh, uh, – those who came last year can come again because it's all new topics, and those who haven't come can, can still come. And and That's we'll, right. We're going to open up to, what, 200 seats? Is that the plan? I hope that it yep. will be at least that. Okay. And so Fantastic. we are uh, hoping day by day to uh, to do what we're called to do at Charleston Southern, which is to help churches fulfill the Great Commission. The School of Christian Studies believes that the power of the gospel is the power to save all humanity. Dr. Gravely, thank you for joining and talking oh, to us pleasure. about Endure. Had yeah. a great time. Well, uh, it's always encouraging to recognize that God is at work, and indeed we saw that this past weekend. We hope that your life is filled with joy in Jesus and in the Scriptures, and may the call of the gospel move and shape who you are. Thanks for joining us. 